Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Okay, welcome to episode 117 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have with me Jessica Gigliotti, right? Yes, Yes. Yes. Gigliotti. All of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. Um, Gigliotti, (laughs) when I first heard her name or saw her name, I thought, I wonder if she's like from Italy or some romantic place like that. No, nothing that exciting. (laughs) Oklahoma. She's from Oklahoma. Okay, we can talk about the origins of her name in a minute, but she's a mom of four. She has contributed twice to the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, and she's an author, a small business owner, a college student, and a survivor. And we are going to talk today about consent in marriage, which I don't think we've talked about this at all on the podcast, and I don't think I've ever even addressed it on my blog. So I'm kind of excited to have this conversation with you. Um, So welcome. Thank you. I'm really, really excited to be here. Awesome. So we were just getting started talking before we press the record button. And I want, and then I was like, no, I want everyone to hear this. So let's go back and talk about how you got into this whole, you're a survivor yourself. Are you divorced? I am. Okay. Final six months ago. So we are fresh. Okay. Freshly newly divorced. And you've kind of gone down the road of studying consent in marriage, the whole sexual abuse thing. Tell us a little bit about why you went down that particular path. Well, I started having, you know, God is really good. After you get divorced, I lost all of my community, but then started meeting more and more women who had been in the same situation. And we started having these conversations over breakfast and stuff and realizing that a lot of us had the exact same story where things just felt off. And most of the Christian women I was talking to had no frame of reference for what consent even looked like in marriage. And so, yeah, it's just, it came from about a million different conversations over the course of time and just sort of built on its own. Well, I know when I first saw it, I I mean, if you would have asked me about consent in marriage even 10, even, well, I don't know about five years ago, but for sure 10 years ago, I would have been like, that doesn't even make any sense. What do you mean consent in marriage? Like that's, why do you need consent in marriage? You said, I do. That's your consent. Exactly. Because when you grow up Christian, all you hear about consent is that you don't have a choice is that before marriage, sex is bad. And after marriage, it's an obligation and there's, there's no wiggle room for anything else. Right. actually the secular world is doing a much better job about than the Christian world is. And that's the conversation that I hope to start turning around. Okay. I think it's a good conversation to have. I know, um, do you follow Sheila Ray, Greg Rohr, her blog to love, honor and vacuum? Yes. yes. Okay. I, I read the book. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. The book we're talking about is a brand new book, hot off the press. Well, hot off the press at the time of this recording. And I guess we'll, this won't air for a couple months, but it's called, yeah, she's going to show it for the YouTube people, <laughs> the great sex rescue. So that would be a great follow-up. I think to this conversation, go and check out that book on Amazon and, and get it. If you want to read some really, some research-based 
information about why the Christian world kind of thinks the way they do about sex in marriage and the, the huge, the ramifications that have been so destructive all across the board um, in this area. So why don't you tell us about what consent, what consent in marriage is and why, why it's hard for Christian wives to understand. So consent is essentially when you freely and completely, like you can say yes, unhindered. So anytime you're in a situation where saying yes is safer than saying no, either physically safer or emotionally safer or spiritually safer, if it is safer to say yes than it is to say no, then you are not actually consenting because there's no true free will there. Wow. That's huge. I mean, there's a lot of women probably dropping their jaws right now. Right. Because in, in so many marriages, the pattern that I keep seeing again and again seems to be where sex is almost this, this battle of how do I get her to do what I want her to do? How do I get her to say yes? And it's almost like, it's almost like when I try to get my toddler to put her shoes on, right? What can I, what can I say to get her to agree what, what can I threaten to, you know, take away if she doesn't? What incentives can I add? And there's no room for that in true intimacy. There's no room for that between true partnership. Like, right. So that gets to the heart even of what a marriage, a healthy marriage actually looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, as Christian wives, we've been taught that a healthy marriage is just, we've been taught our part. You need to submit. You need to do everything that your authority tells you to do. Your husband is over you. Right. If he wants something, you make sure that he gets it. You keep him happy, happy, you know, keep the hearth warm and the food coming and the sex coming. And, and that's, and that's, and then if you do all of those things, you will have a healthy marriage. And so then women think, well, if they don't feel like their marriage is healthy, they're confused and they're, and they're like, what they double down on what they have to do. And a lot of that maybe is just doing a lot of things that they really don't want to do or that they're afraid to do. Yes, yes. And then with Christian women, especially when we try to go get help or go to the church and say, hey, this isn't right. I, I don't feel good about this. One of two things happen. Either we are told that our husband is acting immorally because it's our fault, because yeah. we are responsible for his sin for not fulfilling him, or we are told that there's nothing wrong with the behavior and we are still the ones in sin um, because we don't enjoy it or we don't want the same things that he wants. So either way, it's a no-win situation. Either way, it's our fault. Right, right. It's, oh my word, it's so destructive. Um, so why is it hard for women to see when their consent is being disregarded? So even in secular marriages, um, not every emotionally destructive marriage is going to be sexually abusive, but every single marriage that is sexually abusive is also going to be emotionally abusive. Yes. So you never have sexual abuse without these layers upon layers of gaslighting. So when I first started writing about consent and having these conversations, women were going, oh my goodness, I can understand that, but why didn't I see it? Why didn't I see it? And we started realizing that it's because of this pattern of gaslighting. It's the things that he will say 
around the actual actions, around the actual abuse to try to reframe it. And so ultimately, the conversation about consent, I mean, it's where we need to start because a lot of us don't even have a frame of reference for what consent looks like. Right. But that becomes completely irrelevant if we can't see what's actually going on. So we have to dive into the things that are being said around it in order to more easily recognize when our voice is being stolen. Okay. So what are some of those things that, that, um, that we will hear if we are being manipulated in that way? Right. So there, there seem to be about 10 that are the most common. And the first is just outright denial, just complete denial as the, um, no, I didn't do that. No, it didn't happen. You're making it up. And this is where women who have had um, a history of sexual abuse before tend to have that sort of brought up again, you know, well, maybe you're just reacting to something in your past and maybe you dreamt it. Maybe it was a flashback, but this didn't really happen right now. Um, and denial isn't always spoken. Sometimes denial will be completely unspoken. There will just be maybe a gift the next morning, something there. Maybe, um, maybe he'll just be in a super good mood the next morning. Be like, what's the matter with you? Did you not sleep well last night? You know, why are you so grumpy? So it doesn't always have to be spoken. It can just be this complete er erasing of what happens. Like, and it, it leaves the woman feeling completely confused because her experience isn't matching what's going on. Um, another big one is saying it was an accident. This one... So I keep seeing again and again, and it's really funny because there's no way to accidentally rape somebody. I'm sorry. There, there just isn't. There is no way to accidentally remove somebody's consent, but we buy into it because it offers this level of safety. When, when we're being abused, when I was being abused, like you're looking for a level of safety. And so if he is saying, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. I didn't mean to. That's something you can grab onto to say, well, he's really a good guy. It won't happen again. Mm -hmm. He didn't mean to. So I am safe. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't make much logical sense when you sit down and talk about it, it's extremely effective. Yes. You know, can I just stop you really quick before you go on? Because you use the word rape. And I think Am I that, allowed to say that here? Yeah. Oh, you can totally <laughs> say that here. But I know, I know that there's probably women out there thinking, well, rape. Well, wait a okay. minute. Are we like we're talking about consent? And then you use the word rape, and it's like, yeah, that's what we're talking about here. So you want to address that a little bit? Because I'm sure there's people who are like, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to say it that it's yes, that. Absolutely. Okay. So sexual assault is defined as any sexual act performed on, by, or in front of a person without their consent. Okay. That is, in general, sexual assault. A rape is defined as any form of sexual assault that involves penetration of any kind, um, any object, anywhere, any anything like that. So that is the definition of a rape. And the consent is the unhindered willingness for something sexual to happen. So anytime there is unconsensual sex, legally it is defined as a rape, even if it wasn't forceful, even if it is, if you don't do this, you don't get the grocery money. Or if you don't do this, 
I'm going to continue being grumpy with the children or I, I won't speak to you and I will stonewall you for the next you know, week or so until you agree. That is legally in many states, not all of them, unfortunately, yet, but in many states that is legally defined as a rape. Okay. Okay. So I, I just want that to be really clear for people because it's really hard for us when we've been brainwashed to believe something it's very it takes time and you need to almost hear something over and over again before you finally your brain finally wraps itself around a different idea that might be the opposite of what you thought so there's probably a lot of women that are listening to this that maybe have experienced rape in their marriage and it's a hard word and it's a hard concept and I remember the first time I sat down and actually admitted it to myself that this is what I had been experiencing like my body felt nauseous. Um, everything felt tight. I didn't want to face it. I, I could not. It's like I wanted to just shut it back in the closet and not see it. It's a very hard concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you don't want to believe, like you said, I love your, how you described it. You want safety. Your brain is looking for safety. So you want, you, you want the narrative to keep you safe, right? You'll take the narrative, even if the reality right. is not lining up. Right, because we are really good at surviving, and it's a gift from God that we are built that way because we are good at surviving any situation. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's get back to um, some of the things that they will say. Okay, this is really helpful. Fast, we um, we like to think that this is unusual, but it's it's not that uncommon. Um, the current stats are something like one in ten or one in eleven women are suffering this in their marriage, are suffering sexual assault in their marriage or their intimate relationship. And that is across the board in every socioeconomic group and every religion. So it is happening all around us. So it's not this this fringe concept or this fringe idea. Okay, okay, good to know. All right. Um, Another thing he'll say to try to shift the blame off him is to say, I'm sorry, to apologize. And on the face value, right, an apology seems really good. It seems to offer safety. But the problem is when your apology and his mean two different things. So when somebody who has empathy or somebody who does not feel entitled um, to do something apologizes, we're usually saying, in the simple words, I'm sorry, we're saying, I was wrong. I caused you hurt. I see the hurt and I'm willing to help you hold that hurt. Right. Mm. That's what we all mean. When somebody who is feeling entitled to do something says, I'm sorry, it usually means let's sweep it under the rug and move on. Yes. It's, it's just a silencer because then you get the, if you bring it up again, a lot of times women will get the, well, I said, I was sorry. Why are you still holding that over my head? Right. Right. It's so like they're, it's like their get out of jail free ticket. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And it's supposed to be used again and again and again. Yeah. And if you don't buy into the narrative, then you are the unchristian, unforgiving, horrible, bitter woman. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So taking the I'm sorry a step further is the I feel so bad for what I did. I'm a horrible person. Now you need to comfort me thing. Yes. Oh, I hate that. I what? hate that because it makes them, they're the victim now and you're the perpetrator. I have talked to women who have literally been sexually assaulted by their husbands 
and then turn around and end up holding him while he sobs in their arms, crying about what a horrible person he is. If this is happening, he's just violating her a second time. Yep. He is just violating her emotions now. And it is, I mean, it really messes with people. Yep. Yeah. So good. Right. And then how, how can you see it for what it is if he's so sorry and so distraught that you're having to comfort him? It switches on those maternal instincts and you're willing to do anything just to make him feel better. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was stress. It was stress. So that's, that's a big one where, you know, if we believe that a woman's body, if as a church, we believe that a woman's body is there for a man's comfort and for a man to help use to deal with the stressors in his life. This one just fits into that narrative even more. I was, you know, I was stressed. So of course I had to do this. Um, But do you think maybe being sexually assaulted by somebody might be a little bit more stressful than a bad day at the office? Right. 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 if he comes home and sexually assaults her because he was stressed, why doesn't she turn around and sexually assault him right back? Right. You, you know what this, what you're doing is you're helping people to see that the, it, women tend to take care of everyone else. And we don't really understand or try to take care of ourselves. We throw ourselves under the bus at the, ex, we throw, we, we help others at our own expense. So when they say that, we immediately just kind of like the comforting them when they, you know, the example that you gave before, it's like, oh, they're stressed. Oh, well then I guess it justifies what they did. And I should be helping them with their stress. Right. So therefore I'm going to, so therefore I'll take all the stress. I'll take all the pain. I'll take all of the, you know, the crazy emotions and stuff. And how can you survive long-term under, under, Sir, you've got a husband who is not only not supporting you, but he's actually giving you handy, piling the stress on top of you. And yet you're concerned about his stress and making sure that he's relieved. It's insane. It is. It is. It tears women down. And and then you have the church also backing it up by saying you're supposed to be a living sacrifice to your husband, forgetting that we already had the ultimate sacrifice. We already had the ultimate spotless victim. It's not every woman's job to be that to her right, husband. Right. Somebody else so already good. did it, you know, and he's a lot bigger than I am. Right. Yeah. Very, very good. Would you like to be part of a small group of four to five women walking a journey together to discover what's going on in your marriage and maybe even your church and what you can do about it? We're putting together small groups for this summer that will be going through my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, and the companion workbook. Small groups will meet once a week via Zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever meeting app the leader of that particular group chooses, and you'll be reading a chapter of the book and completing a chapter of the workbook prior to each two-hour meeting. You'll have a chance to share what you've learned and process the material in a loving community of women just like you. Groups are free and led by trained small group leaders. All you need to do is have a copy of the book, which comes in paperback, Kindle, or Audible formats on Amazon, and a copy of the companion workbook, also available on Amazon. To get more information and sign up, go to flyingfreenow.com 
flyingfreenow.ck.page forward slash groups. That's flyingfreenow.c as in cat, k as in kitten, dot page forward slash groups. And you can sign up and get on the mailing list and we will send you more information about these groups and how you can be part of them. And now let's get back to our episode. Okay, seeing I couldn't stop. I was so excited. I just couldn't stop. I, I wanted to do, you know, I got, I got so into it. I couldn't stop when you said no. Now, this one, we already sort of lay the foundation for in our understanding of men. When we warn young women not to wear anything provocative yeah. or not to not to kiss or anything like that because once you get it started you can't stop so we're already laying the foundation by creating this myth that there comes a point where a man will not be able to stop what he's doing even if you ask him to and and that that's a pure myth the the thing is he won't stop if he has given himself permission beforehand not to stop yes very very good um, oh, because I love you. Okay, mm. so if he'll say, you know, I have to do this because I love you. This one, as women, we are so conditioned to accept any mistreatment, any treatment at all we get, if it has the tag on it, the gift tag that says, I love you. So think about the little girl who the boy behind her is yanking on her pigtails. And she's told, oh, he only does that because he likes you. You should take it as a compliment. Yeah. So as women, when we grow up with this idea of if somebody loves me, that's all that matters. And then nothing they do could be harmful. Then when we're married to somebody who unfortunately is harmful, it makes it really hard to see what's going on when he harms us and then says the words, I love you to cover it up. Yes. You know what else complicates that? If you grew up in a family where love was associated with different kinds of abuse, you yeah. actually asso- you actually don't see anything wrong with it then. You just feel like, well, that's just what love is. Right. Or, or even things like, um, you know, Aunt, Aunt Gertrude loves you, so come give her a kiss on the cheek and you don't get to say no because she right. loves you. Right. Exactly. Yes. You know, and I do, I, I know I felt like this and I have talked to lots of women who feel like this that we still felt like we were children, like we were children, you know, that we had to do what other people wanted us to do because we were raised in homes. That's kind of an old school thing, right? You know, the child needs to be seen and not heard. The child needs to do exactly what he's told. He can't express him or herself um, with a different opinion that maybe the mom and dad have because that's considered rebellious, all of that. And I think that's definitely perpetrated in the Christian culture rather than allowing children to kind of develop and express themselves. I mean, it's, it's healthy for children to actually learn how to say no, like that's not a bad thing. Yes. Sometimes they need to, you know, eat their Wheaties or whatever, but, but, (laughs) but there should be just, you know, like if you're not going to eat your vegetables, that's totally fine. You don't get dessert, but I'm not going to sit you sit there and make you eat your vegetables you know, and you have to stay there for the next two days until you've eaten them. But right. that's kind of the way it was. 
Right. And now we need to be teaching children how, on totally another topic, but teaching them to set their own boundaries and praising them for standing up for their boundaries. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. One of the other things that a husband will say is he had to, because he was so angry. Um, and this is, this is victim blaming at its finest. You're throwing it back on her. I, I had to, because you made me mad at you. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was driving and there, there was this road rage incident where, I mean, I, I was scared, but we made it through it. But the men were like screaming at each other and stuff. We made it back home and I'm still shaking, washing dishes and processing this, this road rage incident that just happened. I'm playing it over and over in my head. I was thinking, man, that is the angriest that I have ever seen him. And then it's like the thought hit me. That was the angriest I'd ever seen him, but nobody got raped. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm mad at this other dude driving. So let me hop out of the car and go sexually assault him. <laughs> that thought never right. even occurred to him um, because it is not just being angry. It's not just being frustrated at somebody. It is he has decided that if he is angry at you, this is a response that he will allow himself to have. Yeah. There's nothing that makes a man who's angry sexually assault somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing too is when when someone's angry, a lot of times they want revenge. They want to get back at the other person. So if you think about it, is sex really, is that what we're doing with sex? We're making sex about revenge or getting someone back just because we're angry? And absolutely. Yeah. In a culture, in a culture where there is so much porn and so many men have seen it, that is what it is becoming to a lot of men, maybe without them realizing it. But that is what oh, so many wives are having to deal with is that it is a form of revenge. It is a form of getting back. It's a form of taking back the power. Yes. Regaining the control. Um, so this will also happen a lot with the idea of you're, you're in a fight with somebody, you're, you're having an argument and you have makeup sex. Now, I mean, being intimate after having an argument with a partner that you love could be amazing, right? This is one of the gifts God gave us to build intimacy and to build connection and to say, you know, we as a couple are bigger than any problem there is. But the problem is when it's not mutual, and you have, after after a conflict or even during conflict, one um, party is insisting on having makeup sex with the other and they don't want it. Then it's not about making up. It's about regaining the power and the control. But because it has the title of being called makeup sex, it's incredibly difficult to recognize that it's not about coming back together. It's actually part of the argument and it is part of winning and regaining that power. Very interesting. I love how you're reframing all of this for all, for, uh, for all of us, actually. Um, this is super helpful. Is there anything else that, that these guys say? So the last one that I have is because my needs are unmet. Um, this will be because you don't give me enough or you don't give me the kind of thing that I am wanting. And basically what this is, it's saying that the only reason I have to cross your boundaries is because you have boundaries. So if you just didn't have your boundaries in the first place and you would do whatever I want to, then I wouldn't have to assault you 
because you wouldn't have boundaries. So it makes your boundaries the problem. It's like um, my four-year-old was arguing with me the other day about how he shouldn't be in trouble because what he did, he said, mama, it was just a doing. I just did a thing. It's the rule that's the problem. It wouldn't have been bad if there wasn't a rule there. <laughs> now, this four-year-old's going to grow up to be a lawyer. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But it fits the narrative so much. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, dear wife, I wouldn't have to break your rules if you didn't have any rules. Yes. Therefore, you are the problem. Yeah. It, it does kind of reveal the emotional childhood that the, a lot of these guys are in. I mean, yeah. it is not, this is not emotional adulthood. If you think that you can just go and have sex with your wife and come up with all of these various reasons why it's perfectly fine for you to do that and why it's very, very evil, wicked, and bad for her to say no. Yes. Yeah. A good, um, a good litmus test if you're trying to figure out whether or not you really gave consent is how do you feel afterwards? Because after a loving connection, you're not going to feel empty. You're not going to feel emotionally dead and you're not going to feel sad. So if you feel further away from your partner than you did before, if you feel lonelier than you did before, um, that is, that is a good red flag to dig in and start exploring some of these ideas and start seeing if there really is consent, if you really are consenting or if you're just conceding and giving in because that's the easier option, but you're not really being valued as a person. Okay. Are those some of the questions that, that women should be asking themselves then if they, they think that they might be in? Because I'm sure there are people uh, right now that are thinking, Oh my gosh, is I think this is me, but I don't know for sure. How can I know for sure? You know, that if I'm in a sexually abusive marriage. Absolutely. So there there's yes. Um, how do I feel afterwards? Um, how do I feel about the idea? Because in a healthy marriage, even if both people don't necessarily want the same frequency, the idea is never revolting or scary, or you don't ever despise the idea. Right. So how do I feel about it? And also exploring the idea of what would happen if I said no? Am I safe to say no? Not just, and not just physically, but am I, am I safe emotionally? Um, would the children be safe physically or emotionally if I said no? And also, do I feel like God will hate me if I said no? Do I mm. feel like I'm not spiritually safe if I said no? Because in order to be saying yes and to feel good about it in a way that is not harmful to ourselves, we have to be able to say no. Yes. So even if you, even if you thought, if I say no, he's going to pout or give me the silent treatment for the rest of the night, that's, is that a warning sign? That is a warning sign. Okay. That is, that is very covert abuse, but that is still sexual abuse. Sexual abuse can be and usually is more covert. It's not usually what we think about with it being violent and forceful. It's usually these passive aggressive. If I say no, there will be a consequence. So okay. it's easier to say yes. Okay. All right. So can you explain a situation in which a good man might not actually realize that he doesn't have his wife's consent? Absolutely. 
So when we are stressed, we have the fight, flight, or freeze responses, right? There is now the freeze response is a lot of times used to justify things, but a good man, if a woman freezes during sex, is not going to keep doing things. He's going to be like, oh my goodness, are you okay? You know, what's going on? And sure. But there is a fourth stress response called the fawn response, which is partly conditioned in us based on what we um, have experienced in life. And part of it is just how we are programmed. Because for ages, if there was a situation of sexual assault, the best chance a woman had of survival was to please and pacify her assailant. Yeah. So this is still, this is still something that we deal with. And women who have had a history of sexual abuse are more likely to flip into this phone response where they might be saying no on the inside, but their, their body automatically takes over and starts acting, playing the part, playing the part that feels safe to play. And if it is smooth enough, if a woman's phone response is strong enough, she can have all this going on inside her without her husband having any idea that what is actually going on, she doesn't want. Mm. So having a conversation, this is why having conversations about boundaries is so important because you can have a conversation and just explain, look, I know that I may have seemed like I wanted that, but this is not an activity that I'm comfortable with and do not try this activity again. Mm-hmm. And these conversations need to happen um, not in the bedroom, not when anything is going on, but in an environment of safety where both people can sit and actually talk about it and see, make sure that they're on the same page. So once a husband understands that an activity is not something that his wife wants and that she is likely to fawn if this happens, that she will likely go along with it and just suffer the emotional consequences inside and silence. Once he knows that, um, if he continues to do it, then we can't keep saying, well, it was an accident and he right. didn't need to. Right. right. Yep. But absolutely having these conversations, sitting down and saying, this is as far as I want to go. This is what feels good. And this is what doesn't feel good. Um, yeah, it's very, very important. And a good, healthy man will actually appreciate that and respect yes. that. Yes. I think I think so many women are confused don't even know what a healthy man looks like. So they don't they kind of think when you talk about a healthy man being someone who wants to sit like actually wants to sit down and hear what your thoughts are. Um they're thinking is that even real? Is that that doesn't even sound like it's to them, it's so far out of the scope of the, what maybe their experience has been their entire life. And so I think we need to, you know, reiterate the fact that that is real. There are healthy men out there. And if there are healthy women out there, there are healthy men out there too. Absolutely. Just as yeah. many. Yeah. But, but ju- you know, so just because maybe you haven't been married to one or maybe your dad wasn't one. Um, but I think most of us can think of somebody that we know in our lives that we've met that was healthy and and we can use them as kind of a role model or even someone in a movie. You know, there's characters in a movie. Ted Lasso. That's a healthy man. Have you seen Ted Lasso? 
If you haven't, I haven't you, but I've heard about it a lot. Oh yeah. You got to see that show. It's so, so good. Ted Lasso was a healthy man. Okay. I will, I will make a note to watch that now. <laughs> now I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, just to wrap this up, I know you had said that you have something that you are offering to the flying free community. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering so, if you could tell us what that is. So um, back in our conversation about what are your sexual boundaries and having this conversation with your partner and trying to figure out if your partner just doesn't, if your husband just doesn't know what your boundaries are, or if he knows and is actually crossing them. And do you even really know, have you ever sat down and actually thought about what your boundaries are? Um, I have a sexual boundaries worksheet. So if you go to my website, jessicagigliotti.com and we'll have to link to it because my last yeah. piece. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, nobody is going to know how to yeah. spell that. <laughs> oh, I'll have a link. I'll have a link okay. in the show notes. Okay. So, and by the way, if you're listening to this on a podcast app to get the show notes, um, you'd need to go to flyingfreenow.com forward slash. Um, this is one seventeen. So forward slash one seventeen, and then you can get all of the links. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also did want to say that if you think any of this is going on, um, please call the domestic violence hotline. Because they are trying, first of all, you talk to them anonymously and um, nobody's going to pressure you to make any decisions you don't want to say. It's just a conversation. Yeah. And they are trained professionals who can help you sort of talk through things and figure out what your situation looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. And then did you, you wrote a book. Did you write a book about this? Yes. Okay. What's it called? And it's um, new, right? Did it just come it out? It is, yes. I just released it last week on Amazon. So it's on Kindle or paperback. And it is called 10 Things Your Husband Says After He Rapes You. A conversation about gaslighting, blame shifting, and consent in marriage. Okay. So it kind of builds on what we've talked about today then. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes. if you listen to this and you want more details about these things, because we just hit the highlights, then that would be a good book for them to go and follow up with. Yeah. Okay. 10 things your husband says after he rapes you after he rapes you. Wow. I know it's a really, it's a really, really bold um, title, <laughs> but you know what? It says it like it, it, it says it like it is. And I think that's important. It does. It does. And it, it will, it will help on Amazon to sort of hit the right triggers and show people, you know, the people who need to see it. So right. it was that way on purpose. Right. So do you write from a Christian perspective or just write to anybody or how, I'm just curious. Um, this is not especially Christian. Um, this, this book actually doesn't go into the Christian gaslighting or, I mean, it mentions my background there. Um, but this is just more about the gaslighting. I am Christian and I write more from a Christian perspective on my blog, but this particular book isn't that. Okay. And what is your blog in case people want to hop over there and jessicagigliotti.com. Okay. <laughs> okay. So again, we'll have the link for yeah. that. And um, yeah, this was been, this has been a really, really helpful podcast episode. So I'm really thankful that you were I'm willing to come so on here. I'm so honored that you invited me on here. And it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, and I am absolutely looking forward to when your um, doors open 
on your flying hire because I'm on that wait list and going to hop in there. I'm so excited. Oh, good. Well, we'd love to have you in there. It's a great group of women. And by the way, um, Jessica and I are going to talk after we're done getting off this podcast about her coming into the Flying Free program and doing a workshop. So, so so hopefully we'll get that up in the next probably three or four months. And so if you're interested in joining Flying Free, you you would get that workshop plus other many, many other workshops that are done by other authors and advocates and stuff. So, but we don't have anything in our archives for these women that has to do with this subject. So I think this is a really nobody's important subject. Nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And it's a huge problem and nobody's talking about it. I think it's a scary, I think it's scary. It's very scary for people. And also it confronts, I think women have to really confront a lot of us, we don't, you know, we kind of wanted to deny that there's a problem in our marriage, but you have to, you really have to confront it when you face this. Cause this is a little, I think it's a little more easy to see once you, especially if you go through those 10 things, I know there's women here that just listen to those 10 things that men say. And they're thinking, my husband says these things to me all the time. Like this is my life. And so now it's like, like you said, you felt nauseated. You felt, you know, it's kind of a shocker when you first realize, whoa, this is serious. But I think this is going to be an inroad to help women realize the other types of abuse that are actually going on in their marriage that are more subtle and difficult to define. Right. Because if there is any sort of sexual abuse, it is not the only thing. I can promise you if there's any sort of sexual abuse, it is part of a huge dynamic in your marriage where I mean the whole marriage is built on abuse if this part is it is that fundamental yes yes and you need help and you need support if that's the case so thank you again Jessica and thank you those of you who are listening thank you for joining us until next time fly free